I am Kale Maestri. Welcome to the latest episode of Engineering Reimagine. Humanity depends on engineering to help solve the wicked problems our world faces. In this podcast series, we explore how, like engineers, people from all walks of life are reimagining the future and their leadership roles in it. Across the globe, private and public education policies are changing to increase the diversity of students in higher education. Unfortunately, in some places, institutional culture, along with several other challenges, continues to hamper increased student diversity, especially in the fields of science, technology, engineering and mathematics, also known as STEM. If our goal is inclusive excellence, where do we start? One woman is asking the same questions on her campus. Professor Mamacheti Pacheng, Vice-Chancellor of the University of Cape Town, Africa's top-ranked university, is a leading example of what can be achieved when diversity and inclusivity is encouraged. Professor Pacheng grew up in apartheid South Africa, where racial segregation was passed into law in favor of the white minority population. This racial discrimination determined everything from where you lived to what level of education you received and what career you could embark on. Our conversation with Hetty comes a month after South Africa marked Youth Day on June 16th. Providing an inferior education was part of the apartheid government's strategy. On June 16, 1976, students in Soweto, a township located outside Johannesburg, rose up against Afrikaans being imposed on them as a medium of instruction. Afrikaans was deemed the language of the oppressor, and instead of students being able to critically think about the subjects being taught, they would be forced to focus on learning Afrikaans instead. The students intended to stage a rally at Orlando Stadium, but the protest turned violent and resulted in a bloodbath. The uprising would become an iconic moment in South African education. Police killed more than 170 children on that day. A few veteran photojournalists and a student leader at the time recall that fateful day. And that's the time, that's the third time of my own experience as a young person of those days because it was in that particular time when we started counting corpses. So I saw some white men was lying dead there and I saw youngsters throwing some dustbin over him and uh, the whole place was students all around now. They were coming from all directions to join the other students to get to Orlando Stadium. Had the police allowed the students to go to Orlando Stadium, they would never have had the June 16 uprising. Whenever I'm asked about what is it that I regret about 1976, I always say I led children out of the classroom to be killed by police. In spite of the racial barriers, Professor Pacheng rose to become the first woman of color in South Africa to receive her PhD in mathematics. Aside from holding the second highest international rating as a researcher and sitting on various corporate boards, Ketty, as she's more commonly known, is the founder of the Adopt-A-Learner Foundation, an NGO that funds and supports the education of learners from disadvantaged areas. She also travels the globe as a sought-after speaker, and is a visiting professor to countries like Australia, Sweden, and South Korea. We had the privilege to sit with Professor Pacheng, 
Leading the discussion is civil engineer Rebecca Ilunga of global engineering and infrastructure advisory company Oricon. Let's listen in and learn how Professor Pacheng, who is considered a maverick leader, is working to reverse the legacy of apartheid by finding and nurturing black excellence, while also paving the way for positive change in African education, society at large, and academia globally. Prof, thank you so much for joining us today. The first question I have for you is, what made you want to work in the maths field and especially in the context of an apartheid South Africa? What made you hopeful that you could succeed against all the odds? I mean, truth be told, it was the only thing I could do. I don't think I, I would be as quick arithmetically as an actuary would, yeah. you know, arithmetically just to chew out numbers. But but it's the it's the, the way of thinking, the logic, the sense-making. I also did education as a subject, as a separate module, mathematics, pure maths, and there was special English. Every every semester, my maths, maths mark was above 70. I just kept going. How has growing up during apartheid impacted your views on diversity in universities and in the STEM field? Uh, I mean, it's, it, it, it's interesting. Growing up during apartheid, of course, meant that at university, I could only go to a black university. And, and in my family where I grew up, the, the, the teaching was that the only way out of poverty is to get an education. Definitely. And, and you get it. At, and, and my dad believed in university. He didn't believe in anything else. I want a better life, you yeah. know. And, and, and a better life was you've got to get a better education. Otherwise, you, you're going to live like this forever. You've got to become the best in what you do. That's actually amazing. I think my dad used to say something similar, that if yeah. whatever space you're in, you need to leave an impact there. Yes. So be the best version of that. 25 years now into democracy, coming from your background, how would you say the South African education landscape has changed? Freedom is an amazing thing. You can fight for it. But once you have it, what do you do with it? And that's what matters. And for me, it's, the, it's this complexity of of freedom and democracy that we, when we don't have it, we romanticize it and we think it's going to solve everything and it, it doesn't necessarily do that. Yeah. For me, it's, it feels like we are at a stage where we need to talk values as a society. Taking those values into account, some of your priorities when you stepped into the BC role were mm-hmm. around transformation and excellence and sustainability. Mm-hmm. How would you say those three things feed into this idea of a value system within education. When I took over at UCT, I thought, you know, UCT, in my view, is a place of excellence. And that's a good thing. But excellence, just like democracy, just like freedom, is not innocent. It's complex. And I say to people, that's, that's not, excellence it's is not the issue. Yeah. The issue is pursuing excellence without transformation. Then your excellence will not be sustainable. It will not have integrity because it will suggest that um, black people are only needed for their, for their complexion or the amount of melanin in their skin. How disrespectful. It devalues the excellence. Yes. It's, it's got to be a transformation that says, of course, we believe that black people also have got the capacity to achieve excellence. And so it's not like we're just going to hire you or just accept you because you're black. We accept you and hire you 
because we can see the potential in you and we expect we, we're going to get you in. We'll create an enabling environment for you to work towards excellence and, and, and then you can fly. In this approach, you're now taking quite a different approach to how things have traditionally been done at UCT and mm. also trying to get some of the students to contribute to the curriculum to make mm. it an excellent curriculum. Can you tell us a bit about that? It's an approach that says um, students are not just here to receive. They, they are also a resource. Of course, by virtue of being a student, you don't always know what you don't know because you don't know it yet. But you do have something to contribute in terms of your expectations about what higher education should be about, especially in, in today's age of where knowledge is so available, easily available, um, that sometimes students might not be able to tell us what is it that they, they, they want to be taught. But they can tell us what's, what's not there. And, and that's the, the, the decolonization project is about. It's, it's really questioning why is it that we only have Western knowledge? Why are we only taught? Why, don't, why are we not taught about knowledge from the East or from the South? Mm. And, and it's not, in my view, a question that says uh, do away with knowledge from the West. So by excluding other knowledge systems, we're we also impoverishing our, our intellectual project. Including students, in my view, is important in, in that sense of the questions they ask, the challenges that they pose to us, because it pushes us to think, to, 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 see, to see the things. And the fourth industrial revolution is also going to challenge that. There is a value in having students um, involved in, this, in, in curriculum change. So speaking of the fourth industrial revolution, yeah. it's obviously quite a hot topic at the moment. Yeah. I mean... Do you think globally that the universities are moving quickly enough with the pace of change that the fourth industrial revolution is ushering in? We're not. I mean, universities are are averse to change. Universities are very traditional. I mean, we, when I contested for the job, one of the things that I raised in my presentation was uh, the kind of student that we're dealing with today that is completely different from the kind of student that we had 10 years, 15 years ago. And I talked about Generation C. And, and some people, you know, why are you not talking about Generation X? I'm like, it's, it's not about age. For me, it's about precisely the generation that's embracing it, 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 technology and, and ways of living in with machines and so on. That it, it's, it's not even limited to age. So what we're doing at UCT, we have set up a futures think tank. That's one of the things that we're doing institutionally, that I set up a futures think tank to precisely engage with the, with the question about how what we do will change as a result of the fourth industrial revolution or how the way we do what we do will need to change. Um, for example, now at UCT, uh, 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 last year we, we, we launched, initiated the School of IT, which is a collaboration between three faculties, science, commerce, and humanities. And we started a BA in, in, in informatics. That's not training people to be computer scientists, but it brings you know, social sciences and computing together, recognizing that in the fourth industrial revolution, you don't only need people who understand technology, but they also have to understand the the, the human side of it. But it's not, the, for the, in the futures think tank, we're saying it's not, only, it's not only going to be about what we teach, but it's also going to be 
who we teach and what they expect from us. I mean, are our programs going to be the same way they are? What will the students that are coming into the university in the next four to five years, what will they expect from us? Will all of them want a formal four-year, three-year degree? Or will they want something else? Um, what freedom will they have to, to take courses from humanities, from science, from whatever, and put them together and do something with that? Will there be freedom? Will we be flexible enough as a university to do that? Will we be open to students who, who come in and they don't want the whole degree? They, they just want a few courses and leave. Will we treat them as dropouts? Or will we be having different conversations? So, so we've been talking about what's our future student? What does the future campus look like? What does the future's curriculum look like? It's about making peace with the fact that the future is different, preparing ourselves for it, and making sure that as a university we become, we remain relevant for our society. Well, you spoke quite well about making things relevant and us being relevant in kind of the sphere. You are quite relevant in terms of <laughs> social media. <laughs> uh, you have an amazing Twitter handle, at Fab Academic. One of the hashtags you had was hashtag make education fashionable. Yeah. And that campaign, I mean, could you tell us a bit about that? Because it's very much linked to what you're speaking about now, about being relevant and being in a space where we can be innovative and creative in the way we approach education. So, so I started that campaign in 2017. My presence on social media is about education. And, and it's because I, I, I believe in education. I believe in education as an equalizer. I believe that young people should, should make an effort to get it. And once you have it, what to do with it. But the first step is to get it. And so, so it's about the idea that everyone who gets a higher qualification, higher education qualification, has got a story. Um, so it's not only the fact that you got it, it's the story that led you there. And I, I encourage people to tell their stories. What unconventional part of your story and your upbringing shaped the woman and the leader that you are today and influences the choices that you make? I like saying to people that, I'm, I mean, I'm a survivor in many ways. I mean, I don't think probably only my mother thought I'd be something big, but I don't think it wasn't obvious. And some of that um, is because of the time in which I was born. But what people don't know is that, I mean, I went to school under a tree. We worked 10 kilometers to school. I mean, I've heard all of that. But I, I, at the same time, I don't think my story is, is too unique. Why would you say it's important to encourage and support diversity, particularly in the STEM field and specifically in engineering? I don't think we, we can achieve the levels of innovation that we need if we limit ourselves when it comes to diversity. We've got to open pathways for people from diverse backgrounds because they bring with them different ways of thinking, different ways of doing. Women work differently from men and, and that creates possibilities in terms of what, what innovations can come out of their work. People who come from a working class background think differently and work differently from, from other people. So diversity, in my view, is important in the context of innovation in that way. And what type of challenges and opportunities do you think women interested in the STEM fields face when they start their tertiary education? I think, first of all, it's just um, perception that you're not capable. I mean, we, we, 
as women, you start with that. And it's not only at tertiary education. I, I find it it's in every space you get into as a woman. You firstly have to overcome that that perception that you're not good enough. And once you've, you, you've done that, you prove yourself that you're good enough. And then you've got to deal with the, the burden that comes the, with the fact that you're good enough. Because if you're good enough, then you might get other names because you're too competent or you're too confident or you, 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 you behave like a know-it-all. You, you're a prima donna. You're a queen. You're a B-I-T-C-H. you almost as if you, you can't be incompetent, but you can't be too good. Whichever way, you're going, you're going to be criticized. And so you've got to work thrice as hard and have thrice as thick a skin to deal with the, with the uh, challenges and attitudes and everything that comes with them. And if we want to see more young people, especially women, globally excelling in the STEM fields in what's undeniably a STEM-driven future, what changes do we have to make from the ground up in our schools, in our communities, and in our universities? I think, I think we should start with advocacy for the, the idea that girls can go into maths or they can go into STEM, that it becomes a usual message that girls actually can ex- succeed, can excel or do excel in maths. And, and that advocacy can come in an explicit manner but it can also come in subtle, in subtle ways. So we've got to think creatively about how do we enable women to continue studying. Um, so, so for us at UCT, we, we are open to having women who want to start families and are doing postgraduate studies that they can, they can actually live with their children, races where, where they can live with their children. And, and, and it's not a usual thing, and it, and it can be expensive, but it's an important thing to do. Uh, especially in a context, in a, in a continent such as ours, um, because otherwise women will be held back. With your background in mathematics, I mean, how would you say that mathematics will open up new jobs and learning opportunities for young people, particularly the disenfranchised? I mean, I think it's, it, it will open new opportunities in the context of industrial revol- fourth industrial revolution because of uh, machine learning. Uh, that if you're going to study, uh, you do artificial intelligence, you'll you need maths. Um, but of course, I think more and more we'll, we'll, bec- we'll start asking what maths. Because I think there is math that will probably children won't need to le- learn anymore because machines can do it better. Um, so so, so we, we're going to get, in my view, we're going to get to a stage where we, we emphasize uh, particular kinds of maths that cannot just be automated, that a machine can do. If you think about um, people who do gaming, um, uh, who might need a particular, you know, not heavy maths, but maths that can allow them to, to get into gaming. Um, uh, who, they might need art as well, but, but you might need people who get into data science. I think, I think data will become a big, big issue and, 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 and there'll be people who get into data science who, who might not traditionally have done maths, but they might, they might need maths um, uh, in, into that. So, so I think we'll, need a, we'll have a wider spectrum. It will continue to create opportunities for, for people in, a, in the fourth industrial revolution. How would you say creativity and innovation have been catalysts in your career trajectory? Well, I mean, I, I always say you, you cannot be an academic if you're not creative, definitely. I mean, you, you have to be curious, 
and you have to be creative. I went into academia simply because it, I, I needed the space to, to pursue questions that are of interest to me. Um, and that's a luxury of, of being, a, of being a, a scholar, that you, you, the possibility of, of thinking beyond um, what, what your company does or puts on your desk, because you can, you can do any research that you want. And do you agree that art should form part of STEM? And if so, why? I think even I think even more today, there's there's more interaction between art and science. Uh, I think in the past they've been separated as if one is soft, one is 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 hardcore, and so you should do one or the other. But but I think if you see the new disciplines that that come through, I mean, when I was a high school teacher, I used to have, by the way. Um, 101 reasons why you shouldn't drop maths. And, 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 and part of the reasons was, it was basically what maths will allow you to study. And I'll say to students, how do you become a fashion designer even when, when you haven't done maths? Uh, I mean, it's, it's not like you need to do high-level maths, you know, um, complex analysis, but, but you, 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 you need some maths to be able to, to, to understand or to even cut a pattern. Um, um, architects do more artistic work, but, it's, but they need mathematics. Um, uh, you know, gamers do the same. Most creators um, have, have a mathematical way of thinking, uh, whether they're artists or whatever. They, they would have a way of thinking that's mathematical. It's just that we've presented maths as just being about numbers. And so people, people think, no, I can't do maths, but I can do art. But if we analyzed what they're doing, there's a lot of maths in what they do. If your younger self had to give your current day self a piece of advice, what would that be? <laughs> Ooh, my younger self was too naive. <laughs> I think my younger self would, would probably say, keep having fun. You've got only one life to live, you know? Don't bother about what they say. Just have fun. You will not be 52 again. <laughs> Are you having fun? Of course! <laughs> it was such an honor and a privilege to get to chat with you today. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. Hit subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts for more on the Engineering Reimagined podcast series.